So we are here with Logan Yuri. Logan is a behavioral scientist and also a relationship scientist for Hinge. Do you still work at Hinge? Yeah, I'm the director of relationship science there. Okay. And you also are a dating coach and an author of the book, How to Not Die Alone. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Alexis. Thank you so much for being here. The reason that I thought of you and now once I like looked into you more, I saw that you do a ton of podcasts. I thought I was being so, so like smart by asking you on, but my sister, and this is the whole reason I started a podcast. My sister recently went through a breakup where her engage, she was engaged and um, her engagement ended and she attributes your book, how to not die alone as one of the main things that really helped her throughout so that nice. time. So yeah. Sweet. And every time that she would, I needed any type of relationship advice, she would like refer to like a chapter of your book or like a <laughs> saying in your book. And she'd be like, you know what, you're, you know, you're a romanticizer or something like that. Like you always are looking for the next best thing. Um, that's, you know, in the book that I'm reading. So anyway, I was like, okay, I need to look into this and have you on. So I'm really excited. And I haven't read your whole book, but I've read certain chapters. So, and I love it. Great. Yeah. Well, that's such a warm intro and I'm really, really honored. I could help your sister and I hope she's doing well. She is. She actually has um, a new boyfriend. So, Yay, so something out. obviously clicked and worked. But can we just start off by explaining what it means a little bit to be a relationship scientist and how you kind of got into that? Yeah. I mean, it's a very fancy word for basically studying uh, sex, dating, relationships, things like that. And it's really applying the scientific rigor to this area that people sometimes think cannot be studied. So people like to think, oh, love is so natural and organic. Why would we study it? But my perspective is it's so important. Of course, we should be studying it. And so relationship scientists really approach these questions in terms of running experiments or doing surveys, conducting research, and basically saying, how can we better understand this super important field? How do you balance like the science versus the emotional aspects? Yeah. So I think in terms of the ideas that I study at Hinge, a lot of them come from my one-on-one coaching. So I might talk to somebody who says, oh, I can't talk about books on dating, on dates, because I read a lot of self-help books and I wouldn't want to talk to people about my mental health stuff. And then in my head, I'm like, wait, I think that's a misunderstanding. I think talking about mental health on dates would actually be attractive to people. And then I can actually go to Hinge, do that research, conduct surveys, talk to not just like a couple people or a dozen people, but really do interviews with thousands of people. And so um, there's this process between basically kind of like qualitative research where you're talking to people and kind of getting their opinions and feelings and then turning that into these quantitative surveys or experiments and really just saying like what's going on in dating and applying some of the rigor there. But then of course, the fact that people are meeting up on dates and falling in love and having passionate sex, there is kind of a magic there, but we're studying the magic. Okay. Interesting. Studying the magic. When Referring to what you just said, because I would think that that's not a great topic to talk about on dates. Uh, did you find, what did you find in that study? 
Yes, this was a big study that we did at the end of 2021. And we were thinking like, what comes ahead? What's what's going to be our prediction for 2022? And a big thing that we talked about was that the pandemic was so hard. And those past two years were just so challenging for people that some people really had put in the work. And then they wanted to date someone else who was also doing the work that that expression doing the work is something that I was hearing all the time. And so what we found is that only 7% of people feel comfortable bringing up mental health on a first date, but that actually 88% of people said they'd rather date someone who takes care of their mental health. And in fact, you're more likely to get a second date if you say on the first date that you go to therapy. Interesting. And is there any difference between, cause I don't know, I would think that it's more attractive for, for a girl to hear that a guy goes to therapy versus a guy hearing a girl goes or vice versa. I don't know. I would think that there's different connotations associated with that. I can't remember if we did a split by gender for that one. We may have, but I don't remember it off the top of my head, but we did do this, you know, we did like a U.S. split and a global one, and it was pretty consistent. Basically people were saying like, therapy or talking about mental health has gone from this stigma thing where it's like, Oh, what's wrong with you. And you know, there's a problem here to like, Oh, like therapy is something that, you know, obviously it's a privilege, but if you can do it, it's seen as a good thing. Like you're self-aware, you're open-minded, you're working on yourself. And I think we are in a very kind of pro therapy cultural moment right now, whether it's like people on Instagram or Twitter, uh, tweeting that kind of content, just like the cultural phenomenon of, Brene Brown. Like, I think people are actually like, Hey, I want to feel better. And they're willing to like follow the content or have their conversations around that. Right. No, that, that definitely makes sense. So I didn't ask you how old are you and where do you live? Sure. I'm 34 and I live in Oakland, California. Okay. So we're around the same age. Did you struggle with your dating life? Because I kind of got into NYC date night because I struggled a lot dating throughout my twenties. Um, so I, I kind of took all of my like actual experiences and I, you know, made it into kind of this Instagram. Yeah. So is that your path too, or did you, you know, are you in a relationship? What's your status? Yeah. So I'm married. I've been married for the past few years and I've been with my husband for seven years. Um, I definitely struggled with dating in my twenties and, you know, going back to college, I definitely anxiously attached. And in my book, I tell this story about this guy that was like, clearly not interested and trying to be nice, but I would be like, how can I convince him to be with me? And, you know, how can I plot our connection and this and that, instead of just being like, why wouldn't I choose someone who chooses me? And so I'd say on the personal side, Uh, I can definitely relate to people's struggles. I can relate to be an anxiously attached dater and using my three types. I'm absolutely a maximizer Um, in terms of this being my profession. I feel like it's something that has just been intellectually fascinating to me. This idea that there's no such thing as happily ever after, but there are people who study this. I was just like, yeah, well, what do they know? And I want to know it. And so for a long time, I conducted interviews with experts on the subject. I read a lot of academic papers. I started coaching people one-on-one, which helped me practice my philosophies. And so I'd say, I do feel like I have this expertise and this research and this backing. And so that gives me the credibility. But then I also think that I'm relatable because I was like, yeah, I was super clueless and sending crazy texts. Like I have been there. I'm not somebody who like was born and like married my high school sweetheart. Right. Exactly. It's a good balance. Um, so I want to know your thoughts on like 
the one or a soulmate? What are, what, yeah. you know, what's your thoughts scientifically on that and just in general, or are they one of the same? I would just say that I feel like it's really improbable that there would be one person out there for us. I think there's so many people who you can create a love story with. I think that the same way that somebody could work at one job and that brings out this side of them, but then, you know, it doesn't work out and then they find another job and it brings out a different side of them. Like we are really complex we have a lot of different sides to us and we could date different people that bring out different sides to us. So I absolutely don't believe in the concept of a one. I don't believe in the soulmate. Instead, I think that there are so many people out there with whom you could create a great relationship. And it's about trying different people and situations on and realizing which one makes you the happiest and investing in somebody who has some of those traits that really lead to long-term relationship success, not just a lot of sparks at the beginning. Right. And when you say sparks, I did come across your chapter, fuck the spark. And is that, was that the chapter? Was that the name yeah, of it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I was like, did I make that up? Um, and I do always say to my followers, like, I don't believe in the spark. Don't like that. It's, Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Often it's, I believe like butterflies are disguised as the spark and butterflies are essentially nerves. So yeah, it's totally like, I agree. Um, and also what I feel is that if you feel on a first date that you have a spark with a guy, how many other girls probably thought that about the same mm -hmm. guy on their first date with him? Like, totally. you're not going to have a spark with a guy that's like quiet. And I mean, maybe you will, but like, it's so easy to have a spark with like the charismatic, like tall, good looking guy. That's like the life of the party. So is it really the spark or is it you know, something disguised as that. Yeah. Totally agree with what you just said. Yeah. I talk about in the book, how like some people are just really sparky right. and some people, um, I love that just sparky. give that feeling to a lot of people. And so you're like, Oh my God, there's something amazing happening between the two of us when it's like, no, no, no. That person's just like really hot or charming or a great conversationalist. And they give that feeling to so many people. And so I just in general warn people like, of course the spark is great. It feels really good, but it can actually be a sign of maybe that person's more narcissistic. Um, maybe it's a sign that you're feeling anxious. Right. Like it could actually be a bad thing. Yeah. But I want to know, and my followers, cause I did a question box and they, some of them kind of asked this question without the spark, how do you know if you're, and like with some of the other things you said, like, how do you know if you're just with a nice guy that like, you know, you enjoy and things are good. And he has like a lot of the boxes checked, but also like you guys get along and everything's great and whatever. And he wants to be a, you know, a father and all that. Like, how do you know if, if he is the one, well, I guess we already established you don't believe in the one, but how do you know you should be with him? Or if you're quote unquote settling? Yeah. I think people are very afraid of settling and they have this image in their mind of like, I'm going to give up too easily and I'm going to miss out on all these things that are important to me. And so my framework there is that you should compromise on the stuff that doesn't matter, which for me, um, people overestimate how much height matters. They overestimate how much money matters. They think they need to have the same personality. And those are areas that you can compromise on because they don't matter long-term. And then things that really do matter, like if you can have a fight and then repair it and make up, if you can be in a long-term relationship and make hard decisions together, you should not settle on those. And so that's my feeling on that. In terms of the overall question, I would say 
Um, I have this thing in my book called the post-date eight, which is eight questions that you ask yourself after a date. And so there are things like, what side of me did they bring out? Did I feel energized or de-energized? Did they make me laugh? And one thing that I've been working on with my clients, and I am teaching a class right now called date smarter is that when somebody is just kind of like a dud, like someone that you're not interested in going on the second date, the third date with them, you're going to feel the same way. But when someone's a slow burn, the kind of person you want to go after, they're going to get better over time. And so maybe after the first date, you feel so, so after the second date, you're like, oh, they were so attractive when they talked about their job and how passionate they are about photography, whatever it is. And so it's like, you feel this growing interest in them. And it's really that kind of upward slope towards liking them more. That's what you want to look out for. Another question I get asked a lot, um, and I actually do like dating app consultations um, on Hinge sometimes. And I guess I have someone like that is works a little bit on the back end of like the Hinge world. What are your biggest tips for someone on Hinge for their dating profile, for pictures, prompts, any algorithm like inside tips? Yeah. I mean, a big thing is just working on your profile. Like it's, it's very obvious, but I think sometimes I look at people's profiles. I'm like, when's the last time you updated this? And they're like, Oh, not in a while. It's working fine, but it's truly your first impression. It makes a huge difference. And I see even when people get professional photos or improve their photos, they see a really big difference. So I would just say like, step one is investing in your photos. Um, you think the first photo should be like a solo shot, like anything? Yeah. First photo, really like a headshot, like something clear, no filters, no sunglasses, just show us what you look like. I really like to have a photo, which with you and your friends or family, like show us that you're social, show us that you, um, have, you know, an active life and have people in your life that you care about. I like to have a photo of somebody doing something that they love. So is it like candid in the moment? Is it you at a wedding dancing? Is it you playing at the beach with your friend's puppy? Like, I really like to see this feeling of like, what would it be like to date you? Mm -hmm. And then also in our research at Hinge, people are looking for a full body shot. They want to see what you look like there. And I would also say that you should have a picture that's social, but not so many people like a bridesmaid shot that I'm like, which one is she? Yeah, for sure. And what about prompts? Have you found any prompts to be more popular um, than others? Yeah. One thing that's cool is that Hinge just came out with self-care prompts. So kind of speaking about the mental health stuff, it was a chance for people to say things like my therapist would tell you that dot, 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 or um, one boundary that's important to me is dot, dot, dot. And so I think that's a cool way to just indicate that you're like into mental health and this stuff matters to you in general. I think your profile should tell a story. So it's like, if you're a huge Red Sox fan, then you should have a picture of you at a Red Sox game, wearing the gear. If you're really into cooking, show us you cooking. And so think about the different parts of yourself you want to portray, and then make sure that it comes out either through a photo or a prompt or some combination of all of those. When it comes to actually reaching out, is there, do you have any thoughts on, you know, girls being the first to reach out, you know, guys, what, what are good opening lines? Yeah. I mean, I think in general, our research has shown that, um, 
like straight women tend to do even better on the app when they reach out. Men are appreciative of the effort. I really don't think the app is a place to play hard to get. It's like, what game are you playing? Like, don't you want to like get into conversations and get into relationships? Like it's not about playing too cool in general. I just don't believe in games. Um, in terms right. of opening lines, I think there's a lot of cliche things out there. Like, Hey, how are you? Hey, right. beautiful. what did you do that weekend? And then you just sort of fade into the background. And so I'd say like putting more effort in, especially if it's someone who you think is like a really good fit for you and you want to make an impression. All right. Yeah. The, Hey, beautiful just like makes me cringe. I don't know. I just, yeah, totally. That. Are you, are you on hinge right now? I have a boyfriend, so, okay. but we actually met on hinge. Oh, nice. So, Great. Congratulations. Yeah. But if he said, Hey, beautiful, I swear I would not have responded. I just find it creepy. Totally. Like how many yeah. guy, how, how mm. many girls is this guy saying that to, you know, I totally agree. I think it's a copy and paste thing. Yeah. And authentic. A lot of people are asking about like money when it comes to relationships, you know, they're in a relationship with maybe a guy that makes less than them. What should they do? Or you know, even just like paying on the first few dates. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think for a, like a series of questions, like should you have sex on the first date? Who should pay on the first date? I just don't really believe in rules. Like I think a lot of that stuff is based on like pretty outdated norms. So it's like if however many years ago, you know, women were making like 10 cents to the dollar for what men were making. And it was like a woman's chance to get like a free hot meal. Like there's just a different power dynamic. I just saw an article about how in New York, for example, like, uh, I think it's women under 30 or women at 30, like make more than men in the city. And so I really think that those things like the woman should pay are super outdated. And if you focus on that, I think you're focusing on that at the expense of focusing on things that are more important. And so in general, I would just say like, is this a person you can talk to? Do they make you laugh? Are you having a good time? Would you be excited to introduce them to your friends? Like, think about that. If at the end of the date, they're like, Hey, do you want to split it? Or like, I'll get this drink. You get the next one. Like who cares? I, I think people should be focusing on the bigger picture stuff. I guess so. But what I, cause I'm like always saying, like, I think a guy should pay. I just feel like it's a lot about values and about like, even if the one person, you know, maybe you make more money than him. Like if you were brought up to feel like the guy should be courting you, how is it going to make you feel to be in a relationship with someone who's not like, if that's what makes you feel special, like it's not, it does, it's not even about the money anymore. It's kind of about just like the principle of it to you. Yeah. I would just say, I disagree. I, I feel like that's kind of the, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, societal expectations around like love is expressed through money or like the woman should be taken care of like a princess. Like I just disagree with those, uh, concepts. And I think that they're harmful and that, um, I have a lot of empathy for men who are not making that much money trying to find love. And every woman expects like, at least they'll pay for the first date or like, why didn't they take me to a nicer place? And I think it's the superficial quality that could lead people in the wrong direction. And so I would say to those people, like, what are you looking for? Are you looking for someone to financially take care of you? Or are you looking for somebody to be an equal partner? And they might say someone to financially take care of me. And then I would say more power to you, you know, then, then prioritize that. But just in general, when I'm giving advice to people, especially, you know, younger people that are impressionable, I'm saying like, I think those are unhealthy norms that, um, if you focus on too much, will actually distract you from the stuff that does matter. Yeah, no, I, I totally hear that. 
Um, what do you feel about right person, wrong time? Do you think that's a thing? Yeah, I have mixed feelings on this one. Like sometimes I feel like the, oh, it just wasn't the wrong time, right time thing is kind of messed up. Like, um, I think people can make it the right time, but then in other times it's like, if you just lost your job and you're feeling really depressed or you're moving cities, like, how are you going to be in a state to really connect? And so in that case, I would say like, they are the wrong person because it was the wrong time. Yeah. What do you think? No, I totally agree. I think that a lot of people are like, oh, that's BS. Like if he's the right person, it'll always be the right time. But for me, at least, um, I was super immature in my twenties and not ready for a relationship as much as I wanted one. But I met a lot of great guys, um, that I feel like it maybe if I met later in life, it could have worked out. So I just feel like I'm not, I don't know if they're the right person, wrong time, but I just, any person in that stage of my life in my early twenties was the wrong time because I was in a, I was a totally different person in some ways. Totally. Do you think that couples should move in together before marriage? Do you have a view on that scientific view? Is there any yeah, studies I have with a, that? Yeah, I have a chapter in my book on this and I talk about the importance of um, going through different relationship milestones and really having conversations about it. So sometimes it's like, oh, we're moving in together. I think that means we're engaged to be engaged. And the other person's like, we're moving in together. This is a test to see if we're a good match. And if they don't talk about it, they could be moving in with really different expectations. And so I would say for them, it's really important to just upfront say like, what does this mean to you? So like, even at the beginning of relationship, are we exclusive? Are we sexually exclusive? Um, are you going to delete the app when it comes to moving in together, when it comes to getting engaged, just having that conversation, what does this mean to you? Yeah, no, that for sure. I think that as long as you both are on the same page before moving in, but that could be very dangerous if you're not on the same page and you move in together, because then it's, it's a lot harder to get out of the relationship. Once you live, you know, every milestone that you have with someone, it's so hard. I totally agree. I feel like I'm a person that always, I'm never, I feel like I'm never fully satisfied like in life, which is a Mm -hmm. horrible quality. Um, but that, I think that's what took me kind of so long to quote unquote, settle down. Um, I don't know. I liked your whole leg room, like the three different types of daters. Can you just tell my followers a little bit about that? Sure. Absolutely. So yeah, I have this concept called the three dating tendencies. It's about what holds people back from finding love. And each one is based on an unrealistic expectation. So the romanticizer, which I think your sister said you were unrealistic expectations of relationships, thinks, you know, everything is going to be, um, unicorns and puppies and rainbows and really expects things to be easy. And if things are not effortless, or like it must not be the person for me. And then the second one is the maximizer and they are always looking for the perfect person. And so it's, um, a combination of, um, I want to choose this part of you and this part of you and this part of you and put you together into this Frankenstein person. And they're always thinking, oh, that perfect person is one swipe away. Oh, I think I'm the maximizer. Okay. Maybe you're the maximizer. Yeah, I definitely (laughs) was a maximizer. And then the third type is the hesitator and they have unrealistic expectations of themselves and they feel like I'm not ready to date yet. I want to lose weight. I want to, you know, clean my apartment, have a more impressive job on LinkedIn. And they feel like, oh, I need to keep working on myself and then I'll date. But the truth is you get better at dating by put yourself, by putting yourself out there. And so for them, it's really about um, 
learning that instead of hesitating and trying to improve, they can do that self-growth while dating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. I know one of each or at least a few of each of those. That's good. People. That's good that they resonate with you. Yeah. yeah. No, they do. What would your advice be to, um, cause I know I have some friends and I have a bunch of followers who are single in their thirties and, you know, maybe kind of freaking out in the dating world. How do you not like, I feel like I have a friend who kind of tries to make every guy, the one, because she's so, I don't want to use the word desperate, but like, we're all desperate for love. Like we're human, right? Like, I feel like 9.9 times out of 10, like we were looking for that person to spend our life with. So it's like desperate is, has a bad connotation, but, but it's not really bad, but you know, she, I just feel like she wants it so badly that she looks past so many obvious red flags. And I feel like we all do. So what advice would you give to like, like slightly older followers who, you know, really want kids soon, but you know, are having really bad luck out there and, or just like looking past a lot of red flags and trying to force things to work for your friend in particular, I would say it sounds like she has a lot of anxiously attached tendencies. And so I'd recommend reading my book or the book attached, which really talks about how, like when you just want to get into relationships so badly, you're willing to overlook a lot of things that are red flags because you just want that relationship and you don't mind as much with who for your followers in general. You know, I work a lot with people in their later thirties, early forties who are like, look, like I really want to get married and have kids. And it hasn't worked out for me so far. I would say to them that so much of this is a mindset. If you go into every date saying, um, it hasn't worked the last hundred times, it's not going to work this time. You're kind of cursing it, but you really do need to get yourself into a mindset of like, it only has to work once. And this could be the one. Right. It's just so hard, but it's true. It just takes one. And I always say that. Thank you so much, Logan. Um, I'd love to let my followers know how to find you and where to get your book. Thank you so much. Yeah. People can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Logan Yuri. I also teach a dating class called date smarter, which people can find out at loganyuri.com. And then my book, how to not die alone is available wherever books are sold. And I do narrate the audio book so people can check that out. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alexis. Fun to be with you.